Heavenly Father, we thank you that our lives really do not belong to us. They have been given to us as a gift through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we paid nothing for that gift. Jesus paid everything for us. And we received that salvation by simply coming to him and confessing our sins and saying, we need you, Lord. And on that basis, you are willing to forgive our sins, to come into our lives and make us new. And so that's the most wonderful Christmas gift we could have ever asked for. And we would pray that in this holiday season, as we think about what your son has done for us, and that he rose from the dead and that he sits at your right hand and looks down on all of this right now, um, that we would treasure that gift. And this would be a special Christmas for us as we consider that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I see we still have some angry people in here, so I feel like I ought to share this with you. You know what elves learn in uh, school, right? The alphabet. Uh, I was reading this week that there have been some hard times up in the North Pole. You would expect that, uh, you know, hard times would hit every place on this planet. In fact, uh, some of the... Um, uh, some of the reindeer up there had to go out and get jobs, and I heard that at Procter & Gamble now, uh, Comet clean sinks. Uh, you know, if uh, Santa and Mrs. Claus had a baby, that would be a subordinate clause, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, you, you don't realize this, but at Walmart, after like midnight, the 24-hour Walmarts, there's a whole other world that goes on there. They've actually made films of this, the people of Walmart and that. Well, I heard that just recently what happened was um, an associate was called uh, to uh, investigate something that was going on in the vegetable department. A snowman had come in, and he was just rifling through the vegetable department. So this uh, Walmart associate goes up to him, and he says, what are you doing? And as... And, and the, the snowman said, I'm looking for a nose. And he rips open a bag of carrots. And the associate said, wait a minute, you can't just take one out of there. You've got to take, you got to buy the whole thing. He says, why do I need a bag of noses? Well, anyway, that's Walmart. You know, um, it was kind of a strange thing. And uh, this, this actually relates to the message. Growing up... Uh, growing up, uh, our family went through some hard times, and, uh, you know, a lot of families go through hard times. Uh, my dad took off, and, um, uh, and, and it was understandable. He took off because uh, almost every law enforcement agency in Wisconsin was looking for him. And, you know, so it was understandable he had to leave. And uh, life got really muddled for us for a while. Now, kind of related but unrelated to that uh, was my... Uh, amazing school career. And there was a time in school where um, it, it was kind of a weird situation, but I got a lot of steps in. And the reason I got these steps in was because the teacher placed me at the back of the classroom and I couldn't see the, the, the chalkboard. So he would write like instructions and stuff we were supposed to do up on the chalkboard, but I couldn't see what he had written up there. And so what I would do is, you know, these old chalkboards, they up at the front somewhere, they had a pencil sharpener. So I would break the lead off my pencil, and then I would go up there, and I would try to memorize what he had just written up on the board. And the thing is, I've got a bad memory, you know. So I would, I would get as much as I could, and then I would go back, and I would write it down, and then when I ran out of what I remembered, I would break the lead off of my pencil and I would go up there. Well, eventually he got kind of tired of that. 
And then the other thing you develop is this thing, and I don't know if you realize this, but if you, like, kind of make your, your fist a telescope like that and make a really small hole there, you can kind of see. And so I would, I would be back at the room going like this all the time, you know. I don't know what I look like back there. Probably no worse than normal, you know, but, but here's the weird thing about this story is I never realized, for all of the effort I was going through, I never realized I had bad eyesight at all. I, I don't know as a kid how I kind of explained that, but that was sort of par for the course. That's sort of how I lived my life, trying to uh, get ahead in school and understand what Mr. Fisher had put up on the board. Well, in talking about the Sermon on the Mount, I think what Jesus is doing in giving this orientation to his disciples is wanting them to adopt a lifestyle of working on their vision and making sure that it got better and better and better. One of those things that he mentioned to them is that whole thing. Your eye is the lamp of your body. How do you know where you're going if there's something wrong with your eye? And so he said, if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, it will be full of darkness. And I think when thinking about this, um, this orientation that Jesus gave his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, the idea isn't to give them one thing for all time. It's to start them on a path. And I think that's where we all are. And so I guess in this sermon concluding the... Uh, Sermon on the Mount, I want to encourage everybody to just keep trying and keep following the Lord and not to give up. Because the thing is, we always need to be improving our eyesight. We always need to be coming to a place of understanding more of what the Lord has said and then doing that. Because we work with a deficit. Even though, you know, the Lord has come into our lives and we are so thankful for all of that, right? But, but even so, we all know that we struggle every day. Um, it's sort of where the, the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, or the, uh, the Lord's Prayer is, you know. It's sort of orienting us to think and keep thinking and keep remembering. And as we go through life, sometimes it doesn't get easier, it gets harder. And it's harder to, to stay on top of things and keep working forward. So... I think, you know, for the disciples' sake and also for our sake, um, Jesus is telling the guys, keep thinking about this. And, of course, they got to live with him for the next two years, and so they would be reminded of this often. But guess what? Everything that I'm saying is right out of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so we have the great benefit of being able to go back and continually be reading it. So... In Jesus' orientation, uh, I, I almost feel bad about this, the, this message today, just from this standpoint, that Jesus says some pretty hard things. I mean, this is Christmas. I already be saying happy, fluffy things, right? And sending everybody out here on a high note, maybe that'll happen. I'll, I'll try to wind things around at the end. But a lot of times in discipleship stuff, uh, you see people avoid hard things that Jesus says because they are tough. And I think with the right heart, if we have the right orientation and remember why we're here, it works out. We remember who our Savior is, that he is 
the ultimate loving person for us, and He has great mercy and great compassion, and He understands that we are dust, then maybe we're willing to take some of these hard things and say, you know what, I'm going to let this make me a little bit uncomfortable, so I just don't live my life here on this planet trying to stay out of trouble, but I'm actually hearing what He says and trying to do it. So, in the sermon... Just to give a a really quick summary, he talks to them about the attitudes of heart. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you if you're willing to hunger now. Blessed are you if you're willing to weep now. Uh, It's kind of an orientation to the world we live in. The party is not now. The party comes. Heaven will not be on earth. But there will be ultimately a wonderful future for us. Now is the time to work. Watching about making religion, making our gathering together, about seeking our needs and seeking our needs through other people and how we look for them, making religion more of a show uh, than it should be. Uh, Making sure that our treasure is in heaven. And, of course, that's something we'll concentrate on and focus on the rest of our lives, making sure what we really value is Jesus and and what he values. Uh, the eye being the lamp of the body. And Jesus went from that to talk about you cannot serve two masters, so don't even try. And if you do try, God in his mercy will try to bring it to your attention and break you out of it. But it's so easy to think that our great provider is our job or the Shell Oil Company, or I'll pick on Chevron, and, or I'll pick on NASA, or I'll pick on somebody, Right. Uh, that is not where our security is. Our security and our, tra- our, our security is right from the Lord, so we don't have to worship anything else. And then Jesus talks about the anxieties of our lives. You know, it's kind of interesting when he talks about the, the seeds that don't bear fruit. One of those is the one that falls among the thorns and it, it grows up. The thorns grow up around it. It chokes it out. And it says it's because of the cares of this life and the desire for riches, and the comforts. And as a result of that, it says the fruit does not mature. But it looks like it's there. It just doesn't mature to a place where it can reproduce. And then he goes on from there and he says our life should be about asking and seeking and knocking. And this is really from the Lord and asking him for the wherewithal to get the job done. And there's a lot of joy in that journey, but... It's having a heart pursuing Him of asking, seeking, knocking every day. I don't know about you, but I found myself in that position this week of asking and seeking and knocking about certain things. And so we get to where we are today, and I call this the Word in reality, because basically what Jesus is going to be saying here is hear the Word of God and do it. Don't just hear it, but hear the Word of God and do it. And that is Reality. You have to have the Word. You have to have God's take on things. But then the other part of it is, if it's real to you, you have to do it. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know, or you've talked to somebody, and they may have been a teenager in your life, uh, where you, you tell them something, they go, I know. And then you go, yeah, I know you know. Then why didn't you do it? And I, Howard Hendricks used to say this at Dallas Seminary all the time. To say that you know and not to do it is not to know at all. So we know... But do we do it? And that's what Jesus is coming down to here. And so, if you have a Bible, um, 
the first place I'm going to be turning is, is Luke. Now, you know, I've told some of you that I've kind of, uh, in, in studying the life of Christ, I've kind of put together a conglomeration Bible because the Sermon on the Mount actually appears in Luke and it appears in Matthew. This portion in Luke is significantly different. I got this out of Pentecost book, but it's significantly different from what Matthew records is to actually think that maybe it was, it's still a part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, of course, but it was maybe at a different, a different place. So I, I produced both of them in here because I think they both fit together. In talking about asking, seeking, knocking, basically what it comes down to is what kind of person do we want to be? How do we want to be known? What is our true character? And so it says here in Luke, um, Luke 6.43, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. And it's sort of the idea, I think, that Jesus is saying here, is sort of, what kind, guys, what kind of person do you want to be? Now, Jesus is looking out at his men, and he already knows that some of them are not going to believe in him. Not the twelve, but there's a wider group of disciples. When we get to John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, it says many of the disciples left, and it says Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who believed in him and who it was who would betray him. And so there are some people here who are following Jesus because they want to ride the wave. They want to be on the crest. They want to be on the popularity, thinking maybe Jesus is going someplace and they want to be right up there with him. But he says to them, I, I think what he's saying to all of them and maybe to us is, you can't live out of both sides of your mouth. You cannot put on a good face and be something else. And there are some other places in Scripture uh, that seem to indicate that people actually try this. Uh, and you don't have to look there, but Jesus uses this exact same uh, parable. And when he talks to the Pharisees, he said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Well, apparently there's the opportunity to make something better. And that's what I think Jesus is saying here. Don't get caught up in a contradiction. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And I think what Jesus is saying to the guys here is... Be careful about this whole thing. Your life should be consistent. If you're going to follow me, let your life be consistent. And, you're going to have to, and, and they're going to have to work at it. And we know that's true, right? Because we, we understand what goes on in us too. But it is so easy to live a double life, even as a believer. I mean, look at the, look at the um, church in Corinth. You have people. You, here's the church that has all the gifts. I mean, they're an amazing church, right? Who wouldn't want to go back to the first century and have that kind of Christianity? Me. I mean, they're doing lawsuits against one another. They're arguing and fighting in church or desecrating the breaking of the bread. And I think the Lord is saying that ought not be. Work on who you are. Let there be integrity here. 
James talks about exactly the same thing in James chapter 3. He talks about the fact that it should not be that you bless God with your mouth and then curse your brother. How in the world does that come out of the same place? And so I go back to Jesus saying, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And I think the Lord uses this continually with us. And I think he's telling the disciples, make sure you're becoming the good tree. Now, one of the things I want to add to this is just the idea in the scripture of constantly being with the Lord. That's what these guys were going to do. They would constantly be with the Lord. And I just want to recommend the washing of water with the word. The daily getting together with the Lord and allowing His Word to flow over us. I mean, you you imagine we live in a world where there is dust. There are things that fly through the air relationally. There are things that hit us emotionally. We become covered over and we don't even realize it's happening to us. We start fogging over and losing our, our sight and losing our perspective. What brings us back to that? Daily being in the Word of God. That's Psalm 1. That's um, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. The point is, is we have this relationship with Him and we need His care. We need Him to wash us over. We need to be confronted with the Word every day just to um, clean us up, to give us hope, to renew our perspective, to renew, you know, is telling us what direction we need to go in. And I think that we really need that. The Lord's Prayer um, is part of the um, uh, Sermon on the Mount. And we don't pray it in a rote manner as if it's like some magic words. And it, I, I had a guy come up to me in Germany at the end of a worship service. Actually, a woman brought him up to me. And he was a Lutheran pastor. And uh, she said, tell him what you just told me. And so this Lutheran pastor looks at me and he says, a worship service is not a worship service or glorifying to God if you don't say the Lord's Prayer. Well, well, I took care of that. I said, boy, I didn't say this to him, but boy, you wasted your time being here today, didn't you? But the point is, it tunes our hearts, doesn't it? When you go through the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, we got a dad in heaven, hallowed be thy name, I will... Set your name apart and honor you. What a great way to start the day. Just thinking about prayer and thinking about living. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's eschatology. That's hope. That's the fact that it's going to be right. Give us this day our daily bread. All my needs are fulfilled by you and I don't need more than what you give me. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive others who trespass against me because I walk into relationships at work. I walk into people in the store. I I get behind drivers who don't know how to drive. And I go, yeah, but you're no better, Dan. And lead me not into temptation because I'm a pretty miserable person, pretty sorry person. I need your help. And preserve us from the evil one. I mean... We need that every day. And God built it. Jesus built it right into the Lord's Prayer. How ingenious. But we need that every single day. And here's the kind of the hope I want to put in this too, because of what Jesus is saying here. Um, we always can change. We always can change. You may have been a bad tree this week. 
Okay? Or maybe you've been a bad tree for a couple of weeks. Maybe you've been a bad tree for a really long time, in which case you need to talk to John here. But, but the point is, our Lord has a lot of mercy and you can change. I can change. And that's the hope that we have in the Gospel. You know, when Satan really starts... I've seen him do this with various people. When he starts really lowering the boom on somebody, he tries to bring them to a place where they do something or think something that is unforgivable. And he tells them, what you've just done right now has just wiped you out. God will never accept you. I don't believe there is, in our day and age at this time, an unforgivable sin. Okay? But I believe that if we'll turn our hearts to, to Jesus and say, hey, look, I messed up. Or, I, you know, I've been running in completely the wrong direction. I have been so blind. I think if we are willing to come to Him with that kind of confession, with that kind of humility, really being willing to hear the Word of God and do it, I think He makes it all new. That's the miracle of the price He paid on the cross and the power of the blood. One of the examples you have in the Bible, and you know, I've got I to gotta run through this, is King Manasseh. King Manasseh did everything wrong. He killed his children. He, brought, uh, he, he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood so that God himself said, I will not forgive. Uh, he is attributed with sawing Isaiah the prophet into probably a magic trick gone bad, right? At the end of his life, he repented. At the end of his life, he confessed God is the only God. And we're going to, I think we're going to see Manasseh in heaven. And if God can forgive Manasseh, he can certainly forgive us. But we have to be willing to confess. We have to be willing to come to him. And so Jesus says that. Um, you know, make sure you become the right tree. Because out of your heart, your mouth speaks out of your heart. And if you hear your mouth speaking, if you see your hand moving and it's doing something bad you got a problem and you need to address it. So then Jesus goes from that to talking about the narrow way. And I think he's saying again, you need to work at this. In other words, it, there needs to be effort. I would love to say that the minute a person comes to Jesus Christ, everything just folds together and it's just happy and it'll be easy from there. That's what we want, especially as Americans, that's what we want. We want easy. Didn't Staples used to have a button called the easy button? There is no easy button. And you talk to people who have grown in Jesus Christ, and they have grown through trials. I, and you look at the prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, they all had to go through stuff. So it says here in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And the import of this, of course, is um, certainly talking about salvation. Um, there is only one way, there is only one door to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Uh, and that way is not easy. And I think what that does is it makes people hold off. Jesus says, uses this parable in another context. And when he says it in the other context, 
people are walking with Jesus uh, on the road. He's going somewhere. And they say to him, hey, by the way, Lord, will those who enter the kingdom of heaven uh, be few or be many? And Jesus kind of stops and he says, make sure you wrestle to go in through the narrow way. And then he says this, and he says, you know, many will come before me on that day, and they're going to say, Lord, let us in. And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. And they're going to go, no, 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 no. Lord, don't you remember in Jerusalem or in, in Capernaum or wherever it was? We sat down and we ate with you. We even told jokes to you. You know, I mean, we had a good time. And Jesus is going to say, but you never made the decision. You never made the decision. I never knew you. There is something about flying around church. There is something about being in the company of people. Maybe that's the seed that, uh, that got thrown into the shallow ground where it immediately springs up in joy because it's in such good company. And there are people that, that um, promote this kind of joy. And it's nice to be in a good social group. But they never really make the definite decision of following Jesus Christ. They stay with it as long as it's easy. And I think what Jesus is saying here is you just need to make sure that you're not choosing ease over following me, coming through the narrow gate where the way is hard. Uh, I've got Francis Chan up there. Now, if you want to see a couple of interesting videos, I've shown these to the youth, so if you want to see what we're showing the youth every now and then, look at um, Francis Chan, The Balance Beam, and Francis Chan, The New Middle Road. The New Middle Road is kind of funny because Francis Chan is a very ardent, discipleship-oriented guy, and uh, one of his guys in church, one of his leaders, comes up to him and says, you know, we don't... Francis, we don't need to be this radical. You know, it's like there's sort of a middle way here. And Francis Chan then goes off on this and he says, did you guys know there was a new middle way? I mean, you know, there's a narrow way and there's a broad way, but now we got like a carpool lane right in the middle. And the thing is, is again, on American ears, this really does not play well. Are we really willing to put the work into getting through the narrow way and walking a path that is hard for our Savior? I mean, we're following Him, right? I mean, how much do we really love Him? Are we really willing to do this? I've got this thing up here, you know, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, uh, you know, are we, am I really willing to sweat and strain? i got this thing going through my mind. Silver wings. Upon their chest, these are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three make the Green Beret. It's like, wow, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here in a way, right? Are we really willing to lay it all down for Jesus and do our best? In following him. I mean, it's nice when it, it's sort of he's a casual Lord and he accepts everybody. And, and he does. I mean, you know, I mean. Um, but are we really willing to lay it down online? And I thought, you know, Dan, this is being way too military. 
Now, John and I probably would get into it, but for you guys, that's way too military. And then I thought about the race that it talks about in Ephesians. So where's fun? Uh, you mentioned it today. There you go. And here's the thing that Paul says. In a race, all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize. And then what does Paul say? So run that you may receive it. He's talking to Christians like you and me. He's saying, run so that you can win the prize. Well, maybe I don't want to run to win the prize. Maybe I'd just be happy to jog, you know, or whatever, you know. And he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it for a perishable wreath, but we for an imperishable. And then Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. But you look at Christianity and it's like, where are these people going? Boy, that guy ran into a tree over there. You know, it's like, I don't run aimlessly. He said, I don't box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it. Is this military or is this sort of what following Jesus is supposed to look like? Being willing, I mean, if we really love him, are we really willing to lay it all down on the line? In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul tells Timothy, and this is right toward the end of his life, he says, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, That would be a good reason not to live a godly life in Christ Jesus right there, right? But you know what the word godly means? This is funny, right? Because in our world godly, our word godly, the word God appears in godly, right? It's right there. So you can define the word by the word itself. In the Greek, the word God does not appear in the word. It means to give ultimate honor and devotion I don't know how we got the word godly out of there, but the idea is giving ultimate honor and devotion to the deity. In our case, that would be Jesus Christ. Ultimate honor and devotion. Where we say, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I will honor you this day with everything I am. Paul says if you live a, God, a life like that, you're going to get, you're going to have problems. And, and just to cut, cut this short here, um, the number of shipwrecked, uh, you know, the, the, the bad part of this is real, right? There are a lot of shipwrecked Christians who run their faith up on the rocks and it doesn't work anymore. There are people that, that disqualify themselves from being a witness and a testimony. They've hurt their families. They've hurt their spouses. They've hurt... Uh, groups of people, uh, big leaders have done things like that. So the possibility exists. And I think that what Jesus is saying here is make sure that you are focused and you're not afraid of having a hard walk and following me. Uh, so I put down here, go for it. You know? Why not? If Jesus is who he says he is, if the rewards in heaven are what Jesus say they are, why shouldn't we keep Running forward. Why shouldn't we try? You know, you may have a relative this Christmas, you know. I mean, it may give them a heart attack, but if you wrote them a letter and witnessed to them, he said, I tried that 35 years ago. Try it again. Right? Why not? Go for it. Who's to say that God isn't going to make this the year that witnessing or, or talking or even inviting over that person at work isn't going to click something? You know, we've got these, uh, um, 
Examples in the Bible like Isaac. And I think Isaac gave up way too early. Do you realize that when Isaac has his little powwow with Esau, where he's going to give Esau the blessing and then Jacob steals it, Isaac thinks he's going to die. Poor guy. He thought he was going to die. He's 100 years old. I think if I were 100 years old, I would think I was going to die too. Right? But it's like this guy is sliding for home, and he's going to do this. But here's the end of the story. Died at 100. Buried at 180. He had 80 more years. And I think, I've met so many Christians who gave up. You know, and their, their epitaph would read more like, died at 40, buried at 75. They started well. I mean, that's what we were talking about this morning. Starting well in the race for Jesus Christ. But somehow along the way, they lost their vision. They, they settled into a comfortable life. God wants them saved. He'll let them get to heaven. Who cares? And I think Jesus cares. There's a song that I really like, and I listen to stuff that really kind of rattles my brain a little bit. But there's a song by a guy named Steve Camp uh, called Living Dangerously in the Hands of God. And it goes like this, How easily Jesus is forgotten amid the comfort of my life. Out of flames become a flicker. In faith, it's a brilliant disguise. Our Sundays become a holiday. They're an empty exercise. And the cost of real devotion seems so foreign to my life. Oh, to gladly risk it all. Oh, to be faithful to His call. Abandoned to His grace, but anchored in His love. Living dangerously in the hands of God. Abandoned to His grace. What can't you risk? Because you're anchored in His love. And we, we, I think we just need that spirit. We need to set goals. We need to say, God, what can I do now? Who can I, who can I shake? Who can I love? Who can I befriend for the sake of the kingdom of God? And I love it when people don't give up on that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus goes on. And I think He's bracing the apostles for this. Um, false prophets... False prophets are going to come. But you don't have to, you know, you don't have to let that get you down. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They really look good, but apparently they aren't. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor does a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And, you know, the thing is, if you read the New Testament, you realize that this was a growing problem in the church. Paul had to address it. He tells Timothy, it bears this seal. You know, he's talking about guys who have already, uh, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who are already teaching that the resurrection has happened. He said, they're upsetting the faith of some. But our faith bears this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let those who name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Because what are they then? They are these trees that look, or they, they look like they have fruit on them, but there's something completely different. I was reading in the Greek, uh, one of the Greek commentaries, and it says there is actually a thorn bush that bears a fruit that kind of looks like grapes. Now, it probably doesn't grow in Texas. Maybe they were talking about okra. 
I hate okra. Anyway. Um, and then somebody says to me, but then you've never had it properly prepared. The way to properly prepare it is you open the garbage can. No. Anyway. And there is a kind of thistle that at the top of it looks like it has sort of a figgish growth on it. But if you were looking at a thorn bush or if you were looking at a thistle from a distance, you wouldn't go there to gather figs or grapes, right? And that's what he's saying here, too. There may be something that's coming out of their lives that looked like good fruit, but as you look at them, you realize the whole scenario here is bad. And the the bad part of this is Paul is telling Timothy, this is occurring in the church. And you need to do something about it. He tells Titus to do something about it pretty directly, right? He says, you've got to stop their mouths. And then you find Peter talking about it in his second epistle. And Peter's right on the verge of death too. And he's seeing it flowing into the church. And then John talks about it. He says, and John says a lot of hard things, right? But in First John, he says, the fact that they went out from us means they weren't of us. And, and like, how do you know? What is the difference, be, the gray area, what is the difference between a, um, a, a disobedient Christian and a religious-looking unbeliever? What do you do here in these things? And the only thing that I can gather from this is the reality that it's going to happen, and Jesus is acquainting them with that reality, and it's going to get worse in the next section. But it's just this thing. Make sure it isn't you, and make sure you deal with it. Harry Ironside um, is attributed with the saying, where there's light, there's bugs. It's just going to happen. And you have to deal with it. But he also said, no one who really wants to count for God can afford to play at Christianity. And cutting to the chase on this whole thing with fruits, I think it's just simply the idea of hearing and doing. Because that's pretty much where Jesus is going to land here. Um, this next section, I just I, I didn't even know how to title this because this is one of these things that is really hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, Jesus goes on and he says, um, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, notice how they say this. Did we not? They're trying to prove. They're coming up to him and saying, Lord, 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 Jesus, hey, did we not prophesy in your name? They must have, right? It says in the Bible that Caiaphas prophesied. Um, uh, Balaam was one of those kind of dudes, too. Uh, and did we not cast out demons in your name? I'm, I'm reading this list going, man, I can't do none of that. I mean, whatever. I guess I'm on the low power spectrum here. Um, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Is there a way to manipulate Christianity? I think there must be, because Paul even talks about it. He says that there are people who look at godliness as a means of gain. They're in the church to make a name for themselves. It has less to do, apparently, with Jesus than it has to do with having a good following. Again, the point is, I think he's telling his men that they have to avoid this. 
And here it says, where Jesus says this, um, it says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now, I'm going to steal this from Tony Evans. Tony Evans says he checked this word out in the Greek. He checked this word out in the Latin. He checked this word out in the Hebrew. He checked this word out in the Ugaritic. And never always means never. Not at any time. In other words, these are, never, these are people who never were saved. They never knew Jesus. Not, they didn't lose their salvation. They just never had it to begin with. And when it talks in the Bible about lying signs and wonders, apparently uh, there is a part of this going on too. Just doing your work quietly under the radar. So what are we really trying to do here? In verse 24, Jesus goes on, and now he's concluding everything here. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains fell and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. This is talking about that hardness again, isn't that? So everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Okay, here's a neat little formula here. In uh, John chapter 10, when he's talking to the Pharisees, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They do something. They follow me. It's not salvation by works, but how do you know the real thing? You do it. Do you really love Jesus? You're going to do something about it, right? And so he says here, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. And what did the wise man do? He worked hard. He worked hard. It would have been easy. Oh, you know, I've got to make an apology here. Do I have any youth in the room that were at the gingerbread house thing? I, I have felt so bad about the gingerbread house thing. You know why? Because I didn't make sure that we built those houses on a good foundation. I mean, there were people walking out the door and their houses were falling apart because that flimsy little thing that, that, that came with it from Walmart was no good. And here's the deal. The, the houses went up quick and we started the project right away. I would have had to have done a whole lot more work, or if they did it, you know, I would have had to have some kind of styrofoam or something solid there that they could have cut out and done that. And here's what Jesus is saying. Do you really want to follow me? Then it's going to be hard work. It's going to be, there's going to be some work in it. There's going to be a lot of joy. But you might, if you really want to do it, you might really have to take this stuff seriously. You might really have to read the Bible every day. <sighs> I thought this was grace. You might really have to listen to what I say. <sighs> Man, who needs another boss? You might have to do what I ask you to do. Oh, yeah, it sounds like works. No, it, it's love. And when the trials of life came, and the trials of life came, the trials of life came, and the house stood, because it had been built well, because this person took time to go deep. Because anybody can do a superficial job. And then it says here very quickly, 
Uh, and everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So, cutting to the chase here and trying to get us out of here quickly. Um, what are we really trying to do here? Are we just trying to be safe? And Because safe is just coming to church. Safe is just looking like we're not getting in trouble, you know? Uh, you're, you're not killing people, you're not stealing, you're robbing banks, you're not doing anything outside the norm, but that is not following Jesus Christ. I'm hearing him say that he wants us to share our lives in this world just the way he shared his life with us. And we do it a, a lot of different ways. And we do it with the opportunities the Lord gives us. But we're ready and we're willing. And we're, we're preparing ourselves. We're, we're keeping our hearts fresh and alive in Him. So that when He calls, it's not like we're out of breath when we take three steps. We already, we're in His Word and we're strong in Him. And we're doing that and we're maintaining the things that He asks us to do. And there's adventure. You know, um, so... Uh, my mom actually had to declare bankruptcy when my dad left. It was funny. Um, and I say it was funny because we had our stuff repossessed while my sister and I were in the room. You know, we're watching TV. These two big Milwaukee beer belly guys in T-shirts walk in. And they say, hey, kids, can you move back a little bit? And they unplug the TV set. And back in those days, you needed two guys to carry a TV set, right? So they haul that thing out. And they say, oh, that's interesting. They come back in and they grab the sofa. Hey, kids, would you mind standing over here? They grab the sofa. Well, so anyway, we were on the county for a while. Food stamps the whole bit. So, going to the county hospital, and again, as a little kid, I'm oblivious to this whole thing, get my eyes checked and everything. We show up this one day, we had to take the bus to get there because the car wasn't working. And um, we go and we get the glasses and everything, and I walk outside, and it's like I walk out into a whole new world. I am not kidding. And I looked up at my mind and I said, can everybody see like this? It was like a miracle. And I think what Jesus is saying is this. Get involved in the miracle. Allow me to keep focusing your, your eyesight, focusing your life, giving you that adventure, opening doors for you. And that is a gift. So what are you going to give Jesus? I, I mean, do you ever think, yeah, I know, you're thinking about, who are you going to give gifts to? Have you thought about giving Jesus a gift for Christmas? This is my quick get into Christmas thing. Right, what do you give to the God who has everything? Seriously. Right? I mean, everything. Jesus said everything was given to him. And I thought about that, and guess what? Not everything could be given to Jesus. The Father gave him everything, but there's one thing that you can't give him. You can't give Jesus. The Father couldn't give Jesus our devotion and our love. That had to come from us, right? I mean, you cannot compel someone to love you. It's not love if you're compelling it. If you're forcing someone to obey you, that's no longer the free will. The only thing Jesus couldn't receive was us. And I think that if you want to give Jesus the best gift ever, or maybe you're going to do it again for the hundredth time, but he doesn't care. The gift he wants is you. 
He wants you to sit down with them and spend that unmultitasking time just to get together with them and say, you know, Lord, I want to follow you. I may have mucked up this year, but I'm, I'm gonna, I want to do better. And Jesus is going to rejoice in heaven hearing that from you. That will be the best gift that you could give him for Christmas. That's the gift I want to give him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And in reading it, uh, just the, uh, the way it flows over us, uh, how it gives us hope and how it challenges us. But in all of it, it's your spirit and it is our Lord telling us that a day is coming, a day that he's been working toward, a day that you've been working toward, and now we're involved in that process where all things will be set right. And Father, I thank you that I have the benefit of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. I thank you that he reached into my life, and I'm not even sure. I don't know why he did as much work as he had to do, but I'm so grateful for that. And I think there are many people in this room who have that same heart of gratefulness and would also be saying, you know, I want to I give you the gift that you want, and that gift that you want is me. You want my time. Maybe you want more time than I've been giving you. I want to give you that time. Uh, you've been nudging me about talking to somebody. I want to give you that. I want to take that, that risk and go talk to that person. I want to spend more time with you this year. Um, I want to I try to make it a year that will be honoring to you. And I think that is that would be the best Christmas that we could, from our end, send up to heaven. We just thank you so much. Amen.